This is a crowd podcast. You're listening to Captains with me, Sam Warburton. This is a podcast that gives you leadership insight from some of sport's biggest names. This week, my guest is former England netball captain, Serena Guthrie. For me, leadership is not to lose sight that it's not supposed to last forever. So you don't want to be hanging on to something because your ego says it feels good. We had really experienced athletes in with me, you little scrawny 16-year-olds who knew nothing about high performance. I think that's just a really powerful environment to be in. This is when the sleepless nights started to come because you start thinking about all these different scenarios, your role-playing. It's a real privilege to have to think about these things for your unit, for your tribe. Hi everyone and thanks again for listening to Captains. It's been great getting feedback from you on the series so far. Please do keep the messages coming in, either via captains at crowdnetwork.co.uk or by using the hashtag CaptainsPod on social media. Any suggestions for future guests or any captaincy questions you'd like to ask me, don't hesitate to drop me a line. It's a really good episode this week with a netball legend with over 100 caps to her name, Serena Guthrie. Serena retired last year to start a family and it was great to catch up and reflect on her leadership journey. Netball isn't a sport I knew an awful lot about. I do remember England's dramatic Commonwealth Games win in 2018 and we touch on that here, but there are some really interesting and useful lessons that we can definitely all learn from. It's painfully obvious why she is such a respected name in the sport. I hope you enjoy the episode with Serena Guthrie. Serena, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you? Yeah, really well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Um, I've actually done you no justice whatsoever there, so I'm going to read out just some of your accolades. Oh, God. (laughs) Here we go. So you started your senior career at 16 at Bath, got capped by England at the young age of 18 as well, which you ended up winning 110 caps. You also, to add to that one, four Super League titles, three Bronze World Cup medals, with the two Commonwealth Games, one of which is a gold, you went abroad, won MVP, also Rookie of the Year, and you've got an MBE as well. <laughs> that's, that is one heck of a CV. Do you still have to pinch yourself when you hear that sort of thing? <laughs> yeah, a little bit, to be honest with you. I've, um, you don't really sit back and, I uh, suppose, take stock or, or take notice when, you, when, you, you know, when you're going for your sporting career. You kind of just, every year is another season, it's another match, it's another opposition that you're preparing for, so you, you don't really... Um, take too much stock and to be fair since becoming a a new parent I still haven't really had time to take in my career and the things that I've done so yeah definitely a bit of a pinch me moment every time I hear that especially the MBE part because I'm still not quite (laughs) sure how I managed to get one of them (laughs) who did you meet when you got your award it was King Charles well now the king Um, oh nice yeah yeah and he's he's a a good follower of netball actually so you know being quite into it and he did ask he said something quite funny to me at the time because as I went up he said to me he's like aren't you you know having some time off I said yeah I am actually he's like it's funny the things that get awarded to you when you actually don't <laughs> when you're not involved in what you're doing I was like yeah it's quite yeah. funny because but my, one of my biggest achievements and I was enjoying some time off just uh with my partner and and having some non, non-netball time at that time but uh yeah no it was a great day. How did you get into netball? Yeah well I suppose for me it started like you know, I'm not sure you know how you got yourself into rugby, but for me, it all just started playing 
101 different things, turning your hand to badminton, football. I didn't try rugby, I have to say. It just wasn't accessible for me at the time. But if it was, I would have given it a crack. So I just, I just love to play sport. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do you know what? I would have been first man down, I think. So um, I, was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't have much meat to the bones as a kid. You know, I just love to play sport. I was pretty lean, ran everywhere. You know, typical kid that just loved to compete and, and, and play sports. So eventually, I suppose, you know, netball came my way. I tried it out, met some really good like mates through it. Um, and that really, for me, was a main driver for me, the social element, you know, and the people I've met through netball have been just some of the best people that I've ever met and have really shaped who I am as a person. So that was a kind of a big driver for me continuing on as, as I moved through the ranks and got a little bit older and, and started playing a bit more competitively. What age did you realise you were good? Because was there like a, a penny drop moment when you were growing up where you thought this is something I'm better than everyone else and I could make a career out of this? Did you have that moment? Honestly, not really. I think, you know, I, I, got, I moved from Jersey, Channel Island. So I grew up in Jersey, played all this sport. And then at 16, got an opportunity to go and move away to Bath, which is where the only netball high performance programme was in the UK. It's the only place you could really go where you could go and test your skills and learn what it was like to be in a high performance environment for netball at the time. So I got that opportunity and then I also got another opportunity to go and play football in the UK as well. So I was like, oh, you know, tossing up two favourite sports, netball, football. Uh, the reason I chose netball at the time, I wouldn't say it's because I was the best or anything like that. I was good and I knew I was good maybe for my age, but I hadn't really been trialled and tested with netball not having as many opportunities at the time either. It was actually quite hard to know whether I'd ever play for England, let alone captain at the time. But what I loved about the game was how difficult it was, the technical kind of parts to it. It's really, it's really tactical. There's lots of subtleties, a bit like rugby, you know, and in some of the technical aspects around the game, which I really, really loved. So that's why I picked it, because I found that really challenging. I actually was better at football at the time. I found that much easier. It came to me much easier. I, lo I loved the space. It's still one of my favourite sports. In fact, I might pick it up now I've retired. So, yeah, f for me, it was more what's going to challenge me the most. And it was netball at that particular time. So that's why I picked it. I'm like you, actually. I love football. And since I finished playing, I've picked up five-a-side football. I mean... No one knows about it. <laughs> I've never spoken about it, but I love it. And like put the kids down we play in the evenings and I like go in the garage and I'm like doing like a full-on like you know as, as an athlete you can't just rock up and play football you have to your mates just turn up and just like sort of shake their legs off and run yeah. I'm like doing a full like yeah. 10 minute warm-up in the garage <laughs> so I jump in the car so I'm like I'm like you I'm picking that up as well what about as a captain then so say as an netball captain we'll sort of dive into the sort of captaincy and your career there what would be the responsibilities for a netball captain essentially you're kind of a link between the coaches and, and the athletes, um, you know, just making sure that certain messages are kind of passed across. And then also if there are any, anything that you need to deal with, if there's any friction between certain characters or the team or anything like that, you, you've got to make sure that you're that person's kind of going to and from, but then also really ensuring that there's alignment in, in everything that we're up to and the culture and things like that. So that's kind of off the court. On the court, I suppose, you know, match day responsibilities. I, I did used to delegate quite a lot and the girls used to joke with me and say, actually, you don't really do much as a captain because, you know, mostly, <laughs> you know, I was like, well, you guys, you're, be you're better than me at this. You're better than me at that. You know, let's just uh, use the strengths of the team. But, you know, the standard media responsibilities, you've got your team talks and all that type of all the fun stuff obviously that comes with captaincy and, and the bit that and the real privileged kind of parts of the game day um, which I used to really enjoy as well but 
ultimately kind of I, what, where I saw my responsibilities lying would have been that go between player, coach, organisation and that alignment of everything that we're doing. That was really important for me. I really like actually what you said about delegate. I was exactly the same. And people used to give me the same Mickey take stuff because you can't take it all on your shoulders. What sort of stuff did you delegate? Gosh, anything from team talks to the media. So any anything really. Like for me, I just like to sit back and watch the team win. And I'm like, okay, this is this is good times, you know. <laughs> and just, you know, England Netball, we're really kind of in a privileged position at the moment. We've got a lot of experience in the group. And I think it's very easy to captain an experienced group because everyone, you know, everybody knows where they're at they understand their strengths and their weaknesses and as a captain all you've got to do is just kind of focus in and hone in on that and uh, and reach out to the right people at the right times so you obviously started at 16 which is young and you went into a bath team and had success very early as well and I, I always think I was quite similar I went into a good environment which I look back on and think it was gold dust now could you learn what to do as well from seeing people 15 years your senior what sort of things did you see at a young age that you really liked that struck you about that environment that you could carry on for the rest of your career I think one of the the things that that I saw that I really respected being like a younger player as well like when I went into the bath setup it was the only one in the country at the time so we had really experienced athletes in with me you little scrawny 16 year olds who knew nothing about high <laughs> performance right so it was a really interesting environment and probably one that could go either way, right? Because we've all we've all been in in teams where you've got experienced players who really don't want anything to do with the younger players. And, you know, I've definitely experienced that or they think they're better than the team and it's all it's all about them. And I think what was really quite incredible about the environment I went into is that it didn't matter what, what age you were, every opinion was valued. In fact, if I wasn't speaking up, someone was kind of saying something, you know, and, and, and wanting to pry something out of me because they were, there was a genuine interest and a eagerness to learn off each other. I think that's just a really powerful environment to be in, in any sport, you know, not just netball and to feel valued. And like, you know, you've got somebody with a hundred caps asking me what I think about something. I was like, oh, I know nothing, but oh, I, th I perceived I, I knew nothing. But that kind of openness and that willingness to learn off anyone is something that I took through with me right through to the end of my career, really, and probably was key to my longevity and actually being curious in the fresh faces as a, as, a, as a senior player and knowing that you can actually learn from anyone. It's, it's a really, really cool place to be. I think those young influences are so important. What would have been some of the key things that you saw at a young age that you thought, I like that, and if mm. I was going to be a captain, I'd like to demonstrate that? I really enjoy transparency. Um, I'm quite an honest and open person anyway. Some people would say I'm an oversharer. So, <laughs> you know, I think when I've seen leaders be genuinely honest and do things for the right reasons and stuck to their values that's something that really resonates really strongly with me as a player because if I can see somebody who is laying themselves on the line for the team whether that's with an off the court issue or helping me through a situation as a player then 100% in the pressure moments I'm going to lay down my body for you essentially so I think you know it, it's really important that a leader is able to to be able to do that for their team or individuals if it's needed. Because if you can't do it for your, for your team off the court, how can you expect in, in those big moments for people to be able to pull together, look each other in the eye and really dig in deep, you know, for the win and to end up on the other side of the scoreline in the tight game. So, yeah, for me, that's really, really important. I suppose it's at that alignment to your own values. Did you always want to be a captain? <laughs> no, 
definitely not. <laughs> a lot of people say that. It's interesting. Most people never anticipate it. Is so. What? How, when that call came, how did you find out? And what was your first thought when you were asked? I'll go back because the first time Tracy, it was Tracy Neville. She asked me to lead England senior team, and I did have leadership roles throughout my career. So I vice captained the under twenty ones in two thousand and nine, and I'd kind of been in and out of like leadership positions in seniors, but like you know nothing that would indicate me moving forward up to the top of the tree definitely not so when Tracy asked me to captain the Uganda series I knew it was potentially just a bit of an interim and that was great for me how old are you sorry how old are you at this point I would have been 26 maybe oh so you're well established yeah. sort of senior yeah, player yeah, yeah yeah so you know when she asked me I was I just thought oh how cool is this it's going to be a great crowd it's going to be a great fun I love my team what a privilege to kind of be the voice for them for a little bit. Um, I mean, went out against Uganda, three game test series, one series. I was like, good. I, you know, I haven't been the first England captain to lose to Uganda, which is what, because you think about these things, isn't it? It's like, you don't want to be that do, first yeah. person to do this, that and the other and be a question of sport question in like in, in 20 <laughs> yeah. years time. Um, yeah. And then she asked me to do it in the quad series, which is a much bigger competition, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. And I was like, okay, this is like, the pressure went up for me in that competition as a leader. And this is when the sleepless nights started to come because you start thinking about all these different scenarios, you're role-playing, you're thinking, what do I say if we're 10 down? What do I say if it's a goal for goal? What do I say if we've lost a play, if, you know, midway through a series or, you know, and whilst it kept me up, I did start to kind of realise how much I enjoyed thinking about these scenarios for the team and, and it really, I keep saying privilege a lot, but like it's a real privilege to have to think about these things for your unit, for your tribe, you know? And then it starts to become, well, then it ha did become the, what was not only the biggest honour, but the biggest kind of challenge in my career and really helped me mature as an athlete as well. Because it's the, probably the most selfless act or selfless role that you can play for a team. And people, I think people do, they underestimate what it's like to lead because it really is selfless and it really starts to challenge my shortcomings as a, as a player, as a person and personality in the group and looking at how I can address those as well to make sure that under pressure that doesn't affect the unit. But ultimately, when that when the World Cup call came from Tracy, I did laugh and I said, "Are you are you sure? <laughs> you know, I, I, are you sure? I just want you. You need to go back and have a day and think about it." But yeah, no, she yeah, she was like, yeah, she, she pretty much just said, "Look, you've, you've been doing a great job and you lead by example." And I one thing that I like to do, or a lot that I did like to do as a leader, was make sure that I was always the best out on court. Uh, the best thing I could do as a leader was to play well and to kind of inspire others around me. So that was kind of my my internal mantra every time I went out there. So, yeah, I mean, it was a scary moment, but hey, if the coach has got faith in you, then I was like, if Sheena thinks I can do it, then, I, then I've then i got no doubt with that. And yeah, just kind of took it on, said yes, and then went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you why, but just what, because we're weaving that way anyway, and this is quite a big question I've asked all of our guests. Okay. But when I was coming through and I talked to them that I had somebody helped me when I was a young captain, develop my captaincy by creating a leadership or captaincy compass. So my question is, what would be the four most important qualities that you wanted to demonstrate as a captain? Oh, so yeah, de well, definitely lead by example. That's like, that's yeah. my number one. Me too. And yeah, would never, that would never change. The second one, lead with your heart. So that links to my values as a person and making sure that that is never compromised. The third one 
would be it's it's fun. Nice. I always take that into my leadership philosophy. If I'm not enjoying it, you're not going to get the best out of me. I'm mm, definitely not a s- structured person in that sense. I'm very intuition based. Always have been as a player and am as as a human being. So if, if it doesn't feel good, then you know I'm not going to get the best out of myself. And then the last one, and this is what drives me now as well as a as a human being is that legacy side of things so it's that humbling side to sport that you you have the opportunity to to get I suppose through whether it's being a role model or leaving your dress in a better place or tending that spot for as long as you can and leaving it in a in a space that is easy for someone else to pick up that's always been really important for me because I believe you know, for me, leadership is like, again, banging on about it. it should be a privilege and it is a privilege and not to lose sight that it's not supposed to last forever. So you don't want to be hanging on to something because your ego says it feels good or you like the shiny side to the role. It's it's about ensuring that you're tending that spot to the best of your ability and enabling others to be able to step into it as well. And that's kind of what I wanted my legacy to be as a leader. And that's why I delegated, actually. So there was method behind the madness, girls. For, for, <laughs> if anyone just listened to this podcast, you know, like, you know, I, 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 I did want people to feel like they could have an impact on the team if I wasn't there. That, that for me, was the most important thing, that the team could function without me. And that's the kind of legacy piece. I love that. Yeah, I think that's a great template. What do you think the coaches saw in you when they asked you to do it? You obviously do question yourself. Think, oh, what you know? What have they seen in me? Because I used to think, oh, I'm not worthy of doing this. I think they saw uh, passion, while sometimes a bit overzealous. I think they saw a passion, a passion <laughs> that could move people, whether that was on or off the court. And there is a lightheartedness to me as well, um, which I think in high performance sport, as you know, the pressure's insane, right? And it's only when you kind of start to step out of it where that you realise how much pressure you, I think you used to be under as a leader or in a team where people, media, sponsors are all expecting you to pick up silverware and, and be the best. I think, yeah, that level of lightheartedness and being serious when we had to be, but also taking a step off the gas and, and having some fun with everything. Talking of pressure, I imagine one of the most pressurised things would have been being captain at a home World Cup in Liverpool. How did you cope with that pressure? Because it is uncomfortable. You know, a lot of people just see you playing on the TV and, oh, look, it's great. Look how much fun they're having. But it's a, a heck of a lot of pressure being captain. How did you cope with that? It's probably something that I haven't fully analysed yet because it was it was such an intense experience, you know, a great experience. I mean, we felt like the Beatles for about 10 days. It was crazy. Like people in your <laughs> people in your hotel room calling your phone. It was impossible to escape the feel of it because of the closeness of everybody. We were actually quite accessible, um, which I mean, in other sports, you don't usually get that. So that was probably a little bit of a learning from us, like logistics wise as well in the future. But I think for me, I just, I, I'm pretty oblivious anyway. Uh, and maybe that's just my own stupidness sometimes. Like, you know, I don't get into social media. I don't, I just don't do it. You know, that was probably my, my kind of superpower in those moments because I'd be going into press conferences and people would be asking me these questions and these thoughts and coaches have said this and players have said that. And I was just literally the dumb one in the corner going, oh, wh- when was this? Sorry. The media, they couldn't spin anything off me. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't spin anything and make the team seemed to be something that it wasn't um and I think that did benefit us um 
in an indirect way because you know the world was looking you know they wanted us to be in that final they were and rightly so you know we were the on-form team going into the competition so yeah I think that was kind of a nice way to deal with it in terms of just not really paying any attention and I've you know I've also been quite lucky with the people I've played with in the team one of my best mates Joe Harton she was in the team at the time and it's just great to be able to if you do have any fears or vulnerabilities so you can kind of just speak to somebody who you trust and know it doesn't go anywhere and she can kind of just handle your personality and the darker sides you know because we've all got those darker sides and doubts and things like that don't we as athletes as we creep closer to competition so I had a great support network around me at the time which I'm really grateful for but yeah it was pretty intense. <laughs> You're listening to Captains with me, Sam Warburton, and my guest, former England netball captain, Serena Guthrie. You weren't just captain, you would have been one of the leading players in the world as well, so a lot of eyes would have been on you. Did you feel that, I always this because I sometimes feel when I take the pitch, you think, oh God, my, you can kind of tell that there may be more eyes on you, and in your case, it certainly would have been as captain of a national for your national team in a home World Cup. Did you quite like that attention sometimes or did you always just try and play the game and stay focused? That's a really great question because I think at the beginning when that did start to happen, I probably not shied away but avoided it a little bit and I think that impeded on performance a little bit for me and when it came to that World Cup, I understood it was about like the balance. You know, people were going to be looking at me. Okay, well, why is that? It's because you're good. You know, it's because people expect you to be able to turn a game. But I know I can turn a game. So, you know, all of a sudden I was trying to kind of reframe everything rather than it being something that is negative or arrogant or, you know, something that I'd potentially brush under the carpet. Actually, if I was to sit with those expectations and ask myself, well, why is that? And then look into my skill set, then I can build a, a quiet confidence and a good foundation behind those beliefs. I'm, I'm a ball winner, I was a defender, you know, but I tried to start it out a goalkeeper. So you know, I love going to win balls. So one of my superpowers was, you know, going out and turning over balls. So I wasn't going to shy away from the fact that people expected that from me because that was what I based all of my game around. So I had to be really honest about my own strengths and weaknesses and actually own them. You have to own them, right? I'm a big advocate for being humble and, and definitely being grounded because sport is so abrupt and retirement's a really, really good lesson in that because you go from being in the spotlight, flavour of the month, everybody wants to know everything about you and your life and what you're up to and what clubs you're at to kind of, all right, well, who's the next superstar? What's going on? You know, so you have to be able to live in the moments that you get and understand them as best as you can. But only that only comes with experience. So if that happened to me kind of four years earlier, I probably would have dealt with it very differently. It's such a good point, actually. You've got me thinking loads because I don't think people actually get coached that. Um, so when it happens at a young age, say what you're talking about, you're going to be England's highest profile player known globally. And I think you make a really good point about just accepting that that's part of the role when people will come to you first for a photo or a signature or they want to speak to you. I think when that comes to players who are quite young, maybe, they don't know how to cope with that and they just want to be selfish and focus on themselves. But as you mentioned, you've said the word privilege a few times. I think as you get older, you realise you're actually in 
the privileged position that you are liked and known and people admire you. And I think once you actually embrace that more, like rather than trying to avoid it, because you were talking, I was thinking of times I was young trying to like avoid the hotel foyer so I didn't have to speak to anyone. I didn't want to get distracted. And suddenly you have this like, you click your fingers, you just think, oh, no, I will walk through the foyer. And if somebody wants a picture, it's a great thing, you yeah, know, and yeah. I'll make them happy. You just got to embrace it. Is, is that what you mean by those sorts of things? That's really interesting you say that. Yeah, definitely. That, that's exactly what I mean. It's it, We've got to ask yourself the question, haven't you? Like, why, why are you choosing to hide and, or avoid certain situations? You know, is it taken away from performance? Is it the fact that you're not ready to be out there yet? Is it not, does it not suit your personality type? You know, what I would, if looking back on it, you know, if I was to be in that situation four years earlier, that's the kinds of questions that I'd want someone to be asking me so I could help deal with it. Sport is so, it's so emotional, you know, and you only have to bottle up one little part or, you know, brush something under that actually, it can, it can affect performance and you might not even know, but it can affect your decision-making, it can affect how you prepare, it can affect how you communicate with your teammates. And before you know it, you've gone through a period of four or five years of your career not being as authentic as you could have been or enjoying the journey as much as you could have been because of how what an amazing talent you are. Or you may have broke through a little bit earlier than your teammates. And it's such a crazy roller coaster, right? It's, it's so short lived when you think about the, the greatest, you know, the span of your life. And you want to be able to enjoy each and every moment. And if you're fortunate enough to have that talent and work hard and become a world-class player and get these amazing sponsorships and travel the world and put on these amazing jerseys, you want to enjoy it the best as you can. And, and then if leadership comes into that as well and you get to actually get to the little cherry on top and actually lead your country, all these things make such a huge difference to your leadership legacy and then how the impact that you have on others, which is, becomes important when you lead. It becomes so important. How did you find that transition from player to captain? Was it seamless or was it a little bit trickier? Maybe some of the conversations that you might have needed to have with your players. One of the best pieces of information that Tracy did give me, actually, when she did ask me to start captaining the seniors, she said, Serena, all I need you to, to be is yourself. Because immediately, even whilst we were still talking, I was thinking what do I need to do or what do I need to change? Which is yeah. one of the biggest mistakes I think that you can, you can make as a leader, especially if someone has asked you to do it or, or your peers have selected you to do it, you know, and there's been a process behind this decision being made. You know, you've got there because of who you are. And yeah, for me, that was one that will always stick with me. All we need you to do is be yourself. And I was like, oh, all of a sudden, it always felt like the weight lifted just as it before it even gone on. Because it made me realise that being myself was enough, not only on the court, but off the court. And then all I had to do was start to look into kind of what that was, but a little bit harder to start to refine my strengths. You know, yes, there are always things that you want to be able to work on, but I believe in strength, a strength-based leadership. I know it is a theory, but I do generally believe that as, as a leader to tap into what you're doing already and making them better, making them stronger, making them like solid and then kind of looking at the bits that you know your work ons and then just gradually just chipping away at those bits as well and and there's lots lots of ways that we can work on the bits that you need to work on you can use others you can go out and get different perspectives you can speak to your coach you can lean on your team that that bit's easy but don't change your fundamentals because i think that's where when you can make the biggest mistakes i agree the best advice i had was again be true to yourself which is like you say it's just be authentic be genuine yeah. i'm sure you've had people who try they get put in a position of power, then you suddenly hear them speak and you think, that's that's not mm. them. 
You know, they, they're trying to put yeah. something on. you just got to be so you and authentic and people will just buy into that. If you try to be someone you're not, I think people can see straight through it, can't they? Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's quite funny you say that because <laughs> basically, like, I remember the first game of the World Cup and like, usually I'm the player, I forget my shoes, 2018 Commonwealth Games, forgot my dress before playing New Zealand. I did the same. You know, <laughs> yeah. so people know that that's just like who I am. And then I thought, oh, now I'm going to be really organised. I'm going to write handwritten notes every player in that changing room before we go out for our first game. So I knew everyone would be bricking it, including myself. Do you know what I mean? I thought, God, first game, yeah. we're all going to be nervous. And I handed out a note to everyone thinking, oh, I've smashed it here. You know, really inspirational. And one of our youngest players, Fran Williams, put her hands up. She said, Bob, where's where's my note? And everyone just burst out laughing. I'd forgotten to write her one. <laughs> and I went, oh, you can share mine. You can share mine. Obviously, I was, <laughs> yeah. And That's yeah, cool. it was just like, and do you know what? It was the best thing that could have happened because... Everyone would have been thinking, Serena never does handwritten notes. Like, what is she doing? Um, but then the fact that, <laughs> yeah. but then the fact that I'd for, actually forgotten to write someone, you know, their inspirational note. Everyone was like, okay, brilliant. But like, let's just go out and have a good crack and have some fun. So it was actually the best thing that could have happened. But then that was a little red flag to me because I thought, do you know what? No more of that crap. Enough of that. Yeah. Like, just, <laughs> no, just, just lead from your heart like you always do, and you'll be fine. You know. So yeah. <laughs> How about speeches? Because I was, I'm sort of thinking, you're seeing a lot of stuff which is similar to me. I remember when I was young captain, I was like paced up and down my hotel room, you know, the little notepad and pen you get next to your bed. And I was like writing down all these things. And I was like, right, I was trying to memorise and practice this speech. And then I get all the guys in. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was in Twickenham against England. And then I was only like 22. And then suddenly everyone comes in and it was gone. Like, at, and I was probably the worst <laughs> pre match speech I've ever done because I just had to do it like a cappella off the cuff. Couldn't remember what I was saying. And then I remember I, I listened to your advice. I did that. I was like, right, just speak from the heart. Like, three minutes out, right, what, what do I think is important? And that's how I planned my speech. How did you, well, were there speeches pre-match? I presume there would have been. And, and how did you plan for them? Yeah, I never planned, actually. I literally just would go from the heart. Yeah. Because it's interesting, isn't it? Like, you never quite know how the team's going to be feeling. And I mean, I mean, 22 is really young, Sam, I think. But that is mental, mate. You know, to... I know, yeah. I felt way out of my depth at the time. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, I'd be interested to know kind of how, like, looking back, how out of your depth do you think you were now you look back on it? Like, do you know what I mean? I asked the coach this because I was like, I'm not, I wasn't the best guy to do it. And I look back at, I look back at what I did and I was 22. I cringe. I was like, oh my God, I must have sounded like an idiot pre that match. But I think he had, he sort of had the six to eight year plan around okay. me, sort of thinking I would do it for like three World Cup cycles or something like that. So, and like you said, I had to, I reckon for the first six months, I felt this enormous pressure on my shoulders that you seem like when you were given the captaincy you were wise enough to delegate but it took me probably a year or two to realize to delegate and I felt all this pressure on my shoulders really young and then suddenly somebody's like well why didn't you ask him to do this and ask him to that and I was like is that okay to do that well yeah of course you can mm. you know so I guess yeah I didn't quite have the sort of perspective that you probably had when you were given the captaincy would you have wanted to be captain when you were 22 do you think oh I would have absolutely bricked it I think oh my gosh I mean <laughs> I, I, like like I say I wasn't even turning up to training with trainers at 22 let alone thinking about how to inspire the team on a team talk but uh, it's funny you say that because whilst it would have been a scary experience I would have just probably given it a good red hot crack do you know what I mean and, and done my best to to inspire others like something that's never changed whether it's from kind of retirement to when I was in my early 20s is that willingness and determination and that that, that, that hunger to wanting to be 
the best out there at, at that very time. So I probably would have carried that into my captaincy, but I can't imagine that the pregame talks would have been any good, to be honest with you. Maybe a little bit more emotion, because I mean, I think something that comes with age is that regulation of your own emotion, isn't it? You know, and being able to understand yeah. your thoughts and feelings a little bit better and... I think for me, that's why I always used to go from the heart in the changing room because you never quite know how the team's going to be feeling. You know, you never know how the prep's going to go. Sometimes there's actually not much to say. I don't know if you had the same, but yeah, oh, sometimes sure. it's like, we don't need to actually say anything. Like, we've done it all. We're just going yeah, to... just ready. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes that's the most powerful talks or moments that you have as a group because you're not trying to build anyone up everyone's just in that kind of really really good mental headspace which is like as a captain you're like bang perfect off we go you know yeah yeah so. was there any maybe not your speeches maybe it's one you heard but are there any speeches that you delivered or that you heard that stand out <laughs> yeah well a couple yeah it all comes from when with tracy neville i'd have to dial it down a little bit obviously but her team talks were the most motivational, but also the most random that I've ever had in, but in the best possible way. I remember when we were playing, it was Australia in the Commonwealth Games final, and she just kept talking about getting in, getting in their house. She's like, I want us to get in their house. I want us to rob their TV, <laughs> rob their curtains. By the time, by the time they wake up, they're not going to have anything in their house apart from red, like England Roses players. And we're all looking around like, okay, cool. And the house was the middle of the court. So our tactics were based on getting into the middle of the court so we could have options going off. But it's just the way that she delivered it. You know, we're going into a Commonwealth Games final and it was just top class, top draw. Like philosophically underneath it all, we were all aligned because we all got what she was saying. But it was just, yeah, if yeah. you were just a randomer walking in and, and you heard her, you'd be like, what on earth are they, are them not kind of having, are they chatting <laughs> yeah. about, you know? So yeah, that one, that one always sticks in my mind um, before we went out against the Aussies. What about team talks from other captains? So our captain for 2018 was Emma Agabrezi. She was our oldest player in the squad at the time. She'd been in England team for, gosh, well over a decade and she was a great captain throughout that competition. She was definitely the right person to lead us through. And I remember being in the changing room before the last game and she we, we like to play games and all sorts of things in our in our changing room, as I'm sure, Sam, you, you would have some good changing room memories as well. But for this one, essentially, there was all these these kind of bits of paper on the on the floor and she was like, oh, and we had them all numbered. So we all, she was like, within a minute, we have to put all these papers in number order. So everyone's like rushing around the changing room trying to get blue tackle or tape or whatever and stick it up. And uh, she'd basically kind of written a sentence with like one letter per piece of paper, which said, if not now, when, if not you, who? Which was quite a powerful statement in terms of, you know, about to go out into a final. And Australia thought they had obviously, I mean, they, they thought they were going to win. They're, again, Rightly so, world champions, home Commonwealth Games, they're right to have that level of arrogance going into it. So whilst we were the underdogs, we also were aware that they didn't really want to play us. So kind of reading that sentence, you're like, okay, yeah, let's have a crack here. You know, we've got this. And it was, t yeah, it was it was a great call. Reading that sentence just kind of un unleashed the shackles a bit and uh, yeah, got us in the right mental space. Oh, that's fascinating. What about setbacks? Not just, it could be injury, it could be like losing a semi-final. What were you like as a person and as a captain in those moments when you have a bad defeat or, or a setback? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, the, the worst defeat that I had as captain would have been the World Cup semi-final against New Zealand. And I remember like, we lost it. I mean, we played like we didn't know each other. We, and I, I always 
look back on that game as a leader and think, gosh, like, did I prepare us well enough? Did I say the right things? But I remember at the end of that game, obviously you've got the weight of the crowd. You can literally feel <laughs> like the sadness and the disappointment surrounding you. It's pretty difficult when you've had a big defeat like that and you pretty much have to go to the media within like seven minutes of the game ending. But I remember looking up and walking over to the media and I was like, I was looking at these faces in the crowd and there is a picture, a photographer has taken a photo of me kind of walking across actually at the the end of the game. And there are some people crying, some people hands and heads, but the majority of the crowd, there's like a look or or people are clapping and there's like a, a genuine kind of understanding of what we were trying to do as a team. And I remember looking at the faces in the crowd thinking like, we've lost here, it hurts, it really hurts, but we've actually connected with the wider group of the people in this room who have come to watch us like they they get us they understand us like there was a genuine pride in the room despite the disappointment I think there was even Australians clapping us which never happens Aussies never clap English people as you know right (laughs) the British and the Aussies we just don't get on and as I was walking across I know this is obviously happening in in like a 30 second window but I'll never forget it because I remember thinking about how I needed to still make sure that we were connecting with the people around us because of how much they'd put in to supporting us throughout this competition. And as a leader in that competition, I I remember thinking like a really good measure of success would be connecting with the fans and still having that legacy piece because the win is never guaranteed and the shiny stuff is never guaranteed. But legacy has the longest lasting impact anyway than the shiny stuff. You know, that's lovely. But ultimately, it's the imprint that you leave as a group or as an individual that's really important. And I, yeah, I think that for me was was the toughest loss because at the end of the day, you get what you deserve, no matter how entitled you feel, or like, no matter how much you're like, oh, we could have won that, should have won that. If you don't win it, you shouldn't have won it, you know? And it's understanding that the worst can happen. You could end up fourth, you could end up, you know, first and the margins are this small between fourth and first now in World Netball. They're so small. So it's it's understanding that at the end of the day, you do get what you deserve, but you have to own everything that happens around you, whether that's the one goal wins or the three goal losses. Do you know what I mean? You have to physically own it. And when you own it, you can move on with it and take it and make it your own. It's when you start batting it off and not fronting, you know, t- to those losses and, and to those defeats. I think that's when the cracks can start to show. And for me, that comes from the top. So it's got to start with the leader and how you how you step into that room after the loss, how you talk to the coach, how you talk to the media. You're that poor call in terms of you're the front man to the rest of the world at that point. So you have to make sure you get it right. And it was important for me, again, to think about the team rather than myself that really helped me kind of get around that moment, I suppose, and then moving forward for our bronze game the next day. I was watching the Black Roses documentary, uh, which is, I'll be honest, it was a a real eye-opener for me because I would see yourself being captain of England and I wouldn't bat an eyelid. Yeah, she's a great leader. She's a great player. Of course she's captain. And I probably wouldn't realise the impact that that would have on younger black athletes. And you've spoken yourself about some inspirational black athletes. How much responsibility and pride at the same time do you experience being England's netball captain as a as a black lady. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, it's not really something I've I thought too much about because I'm similar to you, like in terms of what I see or how I see people in in the world. You know, it's like if you if you're good enough, if you you know meritocracy, right? If you built yourself up there and and you deserve it, then you deserve to be in that space, and that's that. I think as a role model, I understand the importance of it, and 
it's a real god i need to find another word other than privilege don't i but it really is an it really is an honor to like <laughs> to, to, to be yeah. in that space and to be representing people who have felt underrepresented for a long time and um you know i understand the importance of that i suppose as a black female athlete whilst i don't always identify with that that's not my leading identifier definitely not as an athlete because i i my mindset is that everyone like i just like equity i I really would love for everyone just to have equal opportunity no matter where you've come from whether you're black white purple yellow doesn't matter do you know what i mean but unfortunately we don't live in that in a world that where that's a a reality just yet you know and maybe we never will and that's why it's really important to keep talking about these types of issues and challenges that other people have faced and you know it's something that i do take seriously that i am someone who represents that for the black community who were your inspirations growing up? So for me, uh, Denise Lewis, uh, she was... Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, she was amazing, isn't she? Like, I mean, for me as well, I, I remember my mum bought me her autobiography for Christmas, which was amazing. I just kept reading it, rereading it, rereading it. But for me, I think she was probably the only female, it's, it's funny you say that, because she's obviously black female as well, but, you know, she was the only female role model that I can actually really remember, that she, I could see her on TV, yeah. you know, and, and she was really successful. And whilst I was, I did athletics growing up, but I was, was never going to be a Denise Lewis or anything like that. For me, watching an athlete and me wanting to, like, be an athlete or, you know, definitely identifying with the sporting industry... I could see that she was someone who was positive and strong and good at what she did and, and humble and all of these kind of characteristics of things that I, I resonate strongly with me. And I was like, I quite like to be like her in my own way. I didn't know what that was going to be yet, but that was kind of something I wanted. So definitely Denise Lewis. And it was funny because when we did win the Commonwealth Games, it was the best day ever because she delivered our medals and that was so cool. Oh, nice. So I was like, she doesn't even know this. I was completely, well, we do talk a little bit over Instagram and things like that, but I was completely geeking out at the fact that like she gave us <laughs> she gave us our medals so I was like I don't know what's better winning the Commonwealth Games or the fact I get to meet Denise Lewis today that's super cool so yeah so it was, it was a good oh, day <laughs> you sort of touched upon it there it might not be that moment what was your best moment as a player or captain if you could relive one moment what would it be um, I think that that weekend in the Gold Coast, the, the semi-final yeah. against Jamaica and the final against Australia, that's uh, that was pretty epic, you know. Beating Australia in the backyard is just nothing. It could have been tiddlywinks, I would have been equally as happy. Just beating the Aussies <laughs> in their backyard is always satisfying. And then I think for me, it was the first game of the World Cup, walking out to the crowd. Now, that was something yeah. else. Like, you know, that was... Um, that was just epic, you know, because it, it just, for me, it was a real crossroads in it, in the sport as well in terms of the, that was a, the first modern World Cup that we'd had, you know, since like the 60s and the level of interest, everything about it was just like, whoa, okay, this is real now, we're here, let's go. You know, it, was, it got all the good juices flowing, you know, as an athlete with the adrenaline and the butterflies and just what, you know, good intentions. So yeah, that, that's probably a top two moments for me. Retirement. I was watching the video that was released uh, when you were talking about you were going to have the birth of your first first baby, which is amazing news. And I, I could resonate with loads of it because I finished for a similar reason. I suddenly decided to put the family first rather than my own personal career. And then you were talking about retirement, and there was just a couple of and you you were really composed, and and I could really feel sort of your emotion for it. There was a couple of pauses in there. 
where you always have that like realization that you're going to be leaving sort of netball behind. How have you found that transition from leaving playing and you're constantly on this search for excellence and competition to now being a mother? It's probably something that I've not completely settled into or like fully because it's happened so quickly. Like I think it's interesting as a female like professional sports athlete you know when thinking about families and when you're going to have it and what does it mean for you and your position in the team and your career and there's, there's so much that goes around it, it I mean it's I know it's just different challenges to males do you know what I mean and like cause men do also go through you know the pressures are on them as well you know it's just different pressures and I think for me it was first of all that being torn with wanting to continue but then also wanting to have a family and knowing that I was kind of retiring this year anyway trying to get that balance with me and my partner and all that kind of stuff so that was like a challenge and then like finding out okay it's happened a bit sooner than we expected but like what the hell does this mean now was he immediately I was like "Mm, no Commonwealth Games okay I've got to wait 12 weeks or do I tell the world sooner or do I you know and it's all of us all of a sudden like all, all these kind of different things going on so it was interesting going into my last quad series knowing and that was no one knew apart from the head coach so that was going to be my last game for England you know which um <laughs> it's just interested in itself and I remember stepping out thinking I wasn't I didn't feel two ways about it you know I didn't feel over emotional I felt very level well, it was mainly because we had a job to do as well you don't really I, there was no time for me to think about it there was the thing the team was the most important thing on that day then the competition's over and I was like okay now reality hits okay I'm pregnant nobody knows about it and I'm retiring <laughs> and I'm retired but no one knows about it yet <laughs> you know um so it's it was a lot to deal with and then obviously yeah like you say I had to tell the world and that like it took me about a hundred takes I think to actually (laughs) get it right and it was really overwhelming in terms of the response but I think she's the best thing that's ever happened to me and my partner she's awesome and um there's definitely no regrets or anything like that. I loved, I loved how it was done. I, the support I had was incredible, not just from England netball, but my but team Bath as well, and and the rest of you know my agent, my family, everything. Everyone supported me, you know, so well. So it was the best transition as I could have hoped for, and um, I was quite lucky, I suppose, in terms of I kind of knew the job I was coming into after now working for Jersey Netball, trying to kind of grow the game over here, which is something I'm really passionate about. So. In terms of transition and having things in place, it was it was really well planned in that in that aspect. But the identity piece is something that's definitely still evolving for me because, um, yeah, like as you, as you know, parenthood, parent life is all about them and not really about you. And I've got days where I've, I've gone like four o'clock and I'm like, I haven't had breakfast yet. What's going on? Um, you know, so there's there's, there's there's all sorts that that happen to me now on a daily basis, which is just behind closed doors and. It's funny, isn't it? Because as an athlete, everyone talks about all the work that you do in the darkness so that you can shine in the light. Well, it's all those things that you do in the darkness as a parent so your child can be have the best life and and shine in, you know, in their life, you know. So it's totally flipped. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world. And it's probably something that I'm going to spend the next year processing, to be honest with you, as as you, as I settle into into parent life, definitely. Oh, sure. I've been, th- well, I've been through it. Cause I remember when I retired and... Like I say, you're constantly chasing excellence. I remember when I finished, I was like, what, am I just on this... Phys- I, by the way, I didn't struggle mentally at all. I've had no regrets since I finished. I've loved it. I love being a dad and being able to be more flexible by work and be home with the kids. It's the mm. best thing ever. But when I finished, for the first sort of six months, I was like, am I just on this physical decline till death? <laughs> like, I, I was like quite a bit strong and powerful guy. And I was like, 
I can't just give up on that. I, I can't just watch myself sort of just fade away and wilt away as an athlete. I still have to yeah. hold on to some of those qualities. I always say, I, people go, what are you training for now? You're not playing. I'm like, it keeps me young. You mentioned the word legacy a couple of times. What would you like your legacy to be? I think I'd like to be able to impact the game in a sustainable way, uh, whether that be... I think I've been able to do that to a level whilst playing in terms of the level of interest and people enjoying, wanting to play the sport and get involved in the sport due to some of our success. And so I've been a player that's been a part of that. It's been really cool. But I'd like to try and do it now from like an organisational perspective, you know, whether that's some kind of innovation, being a part of the professionalism in some way or creating opportunities, you know, for people like in Jersey or or around the world to, to come and experience netball. Love that. Well, honestly, thank you so much for your time today. You've honestly been so inspirational and whatever you do in your life after, whether it's coaching, motivational speaking and motherhood as well, you know, I know you'll just absolutely smash it and be awesome. It's it's very obvious to see why you made it as such an inspirational captain. So thank you so much for talking to us, Serena, and and looking forward to seeing what you get up to in the future. Cheers, Sam. Thanks. Serena was so genuine and it was really interesting what she said about the importance of being authentic and being true to yourself. Absolutely vital traits for leaders. But I was fascinated with her outlook on leaving a legacy and being aware of creating positive environments for teammates. And you can find that Black Roses documentary I mentioned on YouTube if you want to watch that. Don't forget, if you want bonus episodes of Captains, you can. Subscribe to Crowd Sports Plus on Apple and you'll get an episode of The Huddle every Thursday as well as getting these episodes ad-free. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. And do follow us on LinkedIn for extra content and leadership tips. Just search Captains with Sam Warburton. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.